In Romans chapter 12, that list of the gifts that come from the Spirit, we've been making our way through that list because we're trying to understand the Holy Spirit better in this study of who is the Holy Spirit. And so today we're going to talk about the gift of mercy as talked about in Romans 12. And it says there primarily that those who have this gift should show mercy with cheerfulness. And I like that terminology because it reminds us that showing mercy is maybe not always the most cheerful thing for us, right? Because needy people need mercy. And needy people are going to do any number of things that are going to push us away from showing them mercy to being unmerciful and lacking grace and kindness and gentleness with them. But the Bible says you show mercy with cheerfulness. Be happy, be joyful, be cheerful in your display of mercy. That's how it works best. It's often been said that grace from God is God giving us what we don't deserve, right? God giving us what we don't deserve. For by grace you are saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. That's grace. Mercy is often described as withholding what we do deserve. It is of the Lord's mercies that you are not consumed, right? And so God shows us this blend of grace and mercy while still being a God of justice. It's not an easy balance to maintain, but God shows us that perfectly and we must strive to display, to exhibit those same characteristics as we relate to other people in a, in a way that will bring God honor and glory. And today our topic, as we've said, is, is this idea of mercy, what it means. As we have said throughout all of these studies, there's something here for everyone. Whether you have this gift or not, we should all be developing mercy and the display of it in our lives and, and relationships. And I hope that we'll look at it in that way as we go along. But let's talk as we begin about defining it. Let's try to explain it and try to, to understand it together. And in the Hebrew, there's this word mercy, translated mercy. It literally means the womb. It's a place of nurturing it's a place of shelter and protection, and, and it's a place uh, where uh, a, a baby is nurtured to maturity and then, of course, the birth, and it's basically meeting all the needs, if you will, of that one that's been conceived. And then it also means compassion, showing compassion, being merciful. That's kind of the flavor of the Hebrew word as we understand it. And, of course, the, the Greek language has a word similar to it as well. It's translated mercy in the New Testament, to help one who is afflicted and to bring help to the wretched, if you will. Helping those who are in affliction is what we're talking about. In that small book, that short book of Jude, the word mercy is mentioned four times just in that one brief chapter. And Jude says in this context that we should show or express mercy on those who doubt. 
Interesting terminology. Does he mean those who doubt their salvation? Or maybe those who doubt at times of great duress that even God exists or loves them? Perhaps. But either way, we ought to show mercy and compassion and help to the afflicted, to those who have doubts. Jude also says that we ought to show mercy with fear, which may be his way of saying that we ought to tell the whole word and give the whole counsel of God to unbelievers, telling them that the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom and that those who reject Jesus Christ should fear the coming judgment of God because they are under God's wrath unless they repent and trust in the Savior. This type of speaking, though, within our culture, if you, if you go into culture with this message, it's, it's not going to be branded or labeled as being very merciful, is it? In fact, you'll probably be, con- be called unkind. You might be called bigoted. You, you might even be accused of some kind of discrimination. And how dare you say that this is absolute truth and that everyone else who says something differently is wrong? How can you say that? And on and on the objections would come from our culture and our society. But in all reality, the most merciful thing that you could do to anyone is to talk up to them about their sin and their need of a Savior and point them to Jesus, God's Son, for salvation from their sins. That truly is the most merciful thing that you could do for someone. That's what we have to do. We have to show mercy with fear and communicate to others that they need Jesus because so much is at stake. The spiritual gift of compassion and mercy is a special gift whereby the Spirit enables certain Christians to feel exceptional empathy and compassion for those who are suffering physically, mentally, or emotionally so as to feel genuine sympathy. Everyone has a degree of compassion within them, small or great, that defines their character and their actions. But the gift of compassion goes beyond this basic character trait at a much deeper emotional level and escalates the person's desire to show mercy to those in need. Maybe you're sitting here this morning going, that's me because that's how I feel when I see someone who's hurting that's how I relate to the world around me when I, when I see chaos and hurt and, and sorrow. And, and that truly is what I am predisposed to do. That, that's how I feel and I connect with that. Then most likely you, you very well have the gift of mercy if that's how you see it and, and how you view it. That comes from the Spiritual Gifts Project. Here's a second quote from that resource as well. Martin Luther believed that the gift of compassion was a reflection of God's own nature, which is characterized by love, kindness, and mercy. He saw compassion as the natural response of believers to the needs of others, both within and outside the church. Luther believed that those who possess the gift of compassion are called to demonstrate God's love and care to those who are suffering, whether in the body or in spirit. In his writings and preaching, Luther Luther often called on Christians to show compassion and mercy to the poor, the sick, and the marginalized, and to seek justice and equity for all people. He believed that these gifts were essential to the work of the church, which is called to reflect God's love and care for all humanity. I want us to think about that in, 
in, in, in a way of application to the world that we're living in right now. We look around us and we see brokenness, right? We see one big, full-color object lesson on what life without God looks like, right? And it's a mess. It's messy. It's needy. It's ugly in many ways. It's totally undone, unfulfilled, lacks real purpose. I mean, we see this everywhere. What are we inclined to think, to say, and to do when we see all of that? I love the quote from Luther because it pushes us in the right direction on this. But, but really, I want you to think, what do you see and what do you think? What are you, what are you thinking about doing and how do you respond to a world that's just a chaotic mess because it needs God? Is your response mercy? On, that on, on, on those conditions? Is it a merciful response or is it a response that's less than merciful? We have brokenness all around us. We have needs all around us. And if we cannot look through the lens of God's mercy and grace at all of that mess, we are never going to relate properly to the mess. We're never going to help people get out of that mess and know Jesus we come in with condemnation, which Jesus did not do in his earthly ministry. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He showed mercy on sinners. He gave his grace to ones who were suffering. We're going to look at his example, and it's one that we must follow. But what do we do when the mess gets up close and personal? I remember a situation that happened. Uh, when we were living in, in Baltimore, and uh, my family was somewhere, I don't know where they went, guys, maybe you'll remember the story, and you'll be able to tell me later where you were, but Lori and the kids were maybe visiting family, and I had an evening, I needed to get something to eat, so I went to my favorite place in all the world to get something to eat. It was the district called Little Italy in downtown Baltimore City. So I went down to my favorite uh, place, and this is confessional time. I don't know if my wife even knew this. But anyway, uh, went down there and, and went to Aldo's, just a world-class Italian food. Uh, one of the guys that cooked there is Iron Chef, just outstanding stuff. And so I went in and ate, and uh, it was kind of later in the evening, I guess. I wasn't really paying attention what time it was. and Got out of the restaurant and was going to walk to my car. And I was too cheap to pay for parking, so I had to park quite a ways from the restaurant which is not a brilliant thing to do in Baltimore City at night, okay? So if you're ever there, don't do this. But I come out of the restaurant, and I'm walking in my car, and you ever feel someone following you? Just kind of, ooh, that's a weird feeling. I felt somebody. It was a police car following me, just real slow behind me. I was on the sidewalk. He's in the street and just kind of following me. And so he pulls up next to me. He gets my attention. He says, are you lost? No, I know exactly where I am. I know where I'm going for once in my life. <laughs> I knew where I was going without a GPS. I said, no, I'm, I'm going to my car. I'm fine. He said, get in. You should not be walking in this area at this time. Get in. So I got in. He took me to my car. I get in my car, and the first stoplight I come to, what do you think happens? Like three or four guys surround my car. 
and they start washing my windows, right? And that happens all the time. And it's no secret how particular I am about my cars, right? You already know this. I needed therapy after this. I was like, what are they doing touching my car, washing my windows? I'm worried about the water and what's in it and what's getting all over my car. And these people needed and wanted money. They were hungry or maybe needing something else. And it struck me, this is the world. This is representative of the world around me. And what is my attitude about these people? Well, let's just say that I was not setting any spiritual records in that moment. Okay, we've all been there. But the question is this. How do we respond to a needy world that is without God, that is chaotic, in a mess, is restless, looking for answers, however you want to describe it? An object lesson, right, in full color of what life without God is. What do we do with that? If we don't have mercy, if we don't allow ourselves to be arrested by God's grace and do a work in our hearts to connect with people who are needy, who have made a mess of their lives, but who need Jesus, then I think we're missing the whole reason for why we are here. And that's why this is so critical to us, that we let this grab us and let this attitude of mercy dominate us and let it be the lens through which we look at the world. Otherwise, I don't think we even have a chance of relating properly. We're going to get so caught up in how bad it is and what all their problems are. We might even be thinking that they deserve what they get. And it's really hard to reach people with the gospel if that's our attitude. So keep that in mind as we continue in our study and think about that as you try to make some application today. As we have with all of our studies, I want to help those of you who are trying to discern if you have the gift. So that's what this section is about. Secondly, let's look at some characteristics. What does it look like if you have the gift? Well, first of all, you probably will have the ability to feel the joy and the distress of others. You ever talk to somebody like this? You're telling them something exciting and something encouraging and something great that's happened, and they're just right with you. I mean, you could tell by their facial expressions, by their body language, that they're just about feeling the same joy that you're trying to talk about. Don't we all love talking to people like that? Those are great friends to have. And then when you have distress in your life and you have sorrow in your life and, and everything isn't just right as you would like it to be and you, you communicate that to them, you can see that, wow, they're feeling my pain. In fact, you might even see your pain in their face by how they're responding with their body language. Those kinds of people, there's a good chance that they have the gift of mercy. They're able to connect with other people in their ups and in their downs, and they identify with others vicariously. They experience it vicariously, what others are experiencing. These are the people who, when they pray for you, they weep for you. When they share appropriately with others to pray for you, it brings them to tears because they feel your pain. And on the other hand, they get just as excited as you are when they are rejoicing with you at what is causing you to have joy in your heart. Those are people with the gift of mercy. It truly is a 
a high-level fulfillment of, of what we are taught in Scripture, to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. People with the gift of mercy are just really good at that because God has gifted them in this way. They desire to alleviate hurt in others. Someone gets hurt, and they're the ones that rush in to show mercy. They, they want to listen. They want to respond. They want to leverage resources. They want to help others who are hurting. They are sensitive to statements and actions that also may hurt others. Boy, how many of you are with me? It's hard to know even what to say anymore, right? There's so many sensitivities out there. And look, I'm not for anything that compromises truth, so don't get me wrong. But it is important for believers to be culturally aware, right? That we would not plan on or just through insensitivity offend other people and build barriers to sharing the gospel. Again, I am not talking about compromising truth. Truth is offensive. Truth is divisive on its own, on its face. It is. And we must hold the line with truth, no doubt. But we also need to be sensitive to people. We need to be sensitive to what a mind is thinking without God and be careful in how we relate to them, not compromising our message, not even changing our message at all, but speaking the truth in love. A person with mercy is, is keyed in on that. They also enjoy building deep friendships. They're not afraid of trusting people, getting close to people, loving people and being loved because they want to truly help people and they have a sincere desire to know what is going on in someone else's life for the purpose of helping them in their joys, in their sorrows. And so they're going to build deep relationships because they know that's what it takes to be able to exercise their gift effectively. They also tend to be people who are reluctant to believe or say anything negative about others. They have the gift of mercy, not justice and judgment, but mercy. And so they're reluctant in this way. That's kind of what the gift looks like, and maybe that helps you assess and determine whether or not you have the gift. I hope that's helpful. Obviously, Jesus is our example, right? He is the one who knows it perfectly and who displays it perfectly. And I want to spend a few moments just looking at some verses of Scripture that will help us to see this example in the life of Jesus. The first area is that of meeting physical needs. That's what I want to talk to you about. Jesus was a master at this, and he does so in Mark chapter 1. There was a man with a serious skin disease that came to him and on his knees, and he begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He had faith, didn't he? And so moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the disease left him and he was healed. And then he sternly warned him and sent him on his way. He said, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses prescribed for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out, and what did he do? Probably what everyone else would have done. He began to proclaim it widely and spread the news with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. He was out in deserted places, and they would come to him from everywhere. Wow. Wow. And he did this countless times, right? In fact, even John in his gospel 
make sure that we understand that there's a whole lot more that isn't recorded that Jesus was doing. I mean, it was just unreal what Jesus did when he ministered. And just a fraction of it is written down for us today, just a fraction. But Jesus would meet the physical needs of people, those who were needy. And you just got to kind of wonder. John tells us there was a lot more going on than what we know about. You read here at the end of this passage, he was out in deserted places. They would come to him from everywhere. Did he ever get tired of this? Well, physically we know he did because he had a human body, but his heart was to serve people and love people and, and the needy people who would flock to him. He would minister to them and meet their physical needs. I wonder if we're good at that. You know, a lot of times in this world we're we're living in times where there are a lot of irresponsible people, aren't there? Just irresponsibility. They have made decisions which have caused consequences in their life, which may have translated into physical needs, but they still have physical needs. What is the church? What are we? What are you and I individually going to do to meet those physical needs, even if people don't necessarily deserve it? Now, we're going to talk about monitoring that and moderating that in our closing time. But nonetheless, not everyone that we help is going to deserve it, right? They may be in a mess with physical needs because they have made poor decisions. Do you think that everyone that Jesus helped physically was responsible and making all the right choices? I doubt it. But he helped them and he ministered to them. Even though he would be tired, he pushed through and sacrificed to help them. I hope that we'll do the same. You know, some of us here today, I don't know who, but some of us might need to get involved in our food pantry ministry. It, it exists to meet the physical needs of people. You get a wonderful opportunity to, to rub shoulders with people that you'd probably never otherwise meet, except for here, for that ministry. I just want to encourage you. You might be sitting there going, yes, I have this gift and I'm looking for a way to use it. Food pantry is a great way to invest your gift of mercy. And I hope you'll consider it. Contact the church office if, if you'd like to serve in that way. Jesus also meets spiritual needs, doesn't he? And he's good at this too. In fact, he has a, an exchange here that there are some deep issues here, as you know, in this John chapter 8 passage. He goes to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he went to the temple complex again, and all the people were coming to him. Here he is once again, right, just serving and loving people, giving of himself. He sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman. In the middle of all of this, they brought a woman that they had caught in adultery, and they made her stand in the center. So she was a, uh, an immoral woman. And, and they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? They asked him this to trap him in order that they might have evidence to accuse him. So Jesus stooped down and started writing on the ground with his finger. All right, I want to know what that was, first of all. Verse 7. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, The one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground. Yep, same thing. I'd kind of like to know what that was. When they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. When Jesus stood up, he said to her, Woman, where are they? 
Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. He ministered to spiritual needs. In this situation, he didn't come in with a hammer and condemn this immoral lady. He didn't do that. He came in and protected her, nurtured her physically to to keep her from being stoned by these men. He he wrote some things down in the ground that that caused her to escape their, their judgment. We don't know what that is. It must have been really something. He had known everything that those men had ever done. Perhaps he started writing out some of that. We don't know. But he ministered to her as an individual He nurtured and protected her, and then he addressed her spiritual need of her sin at the end of the narrative. It's not that he avoided her sin, but he showed mercy to her first and then talked to her about it. He met spiritual need. You know, that's exactly what the world that we live in needs. It's no secret it's broken. There's every possible sin that we could think of in the world. It's the way it's supposed to be without God. And we don't need to focus on that as much as we need to focus on meeting those spiritual needs with Jesus. If we're focused on justice in a wrong way, focused on winning an argument, making a point instead of meeting spiritual needs, we won't be effective in sharing the gospel, will we? We need to consider these things, these things of mercy. Next of all, Jesus shows us mercy as he endures betrayal, denial, and then, of course, forgives. John 21 is a beautiful picture of this. When they had eaten breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Feed my lambs, he told him. A second time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, he said to him, you know that I love you. Shepherd my sheep, he told him. He asked him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved that he asked him the third time, do you love me? But he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus forgave Peter for his denial betraying him around that fire where he wouldn't admit that he was a follower of Jesus. He denied the very fact that he was a Christ follower. That would be akin to us today denying that we were a Christian. He even used foul language to try to make his point more convincing. And Jesus forgave that. Why? Because that's where mercy takes you. Mercy takes you to the point of being able to forgive the deepest hurts, the most malicious attacks, the most disloyal friends can find forgiveness and restoration through mercy. Jesus is that example. And you know what? He is that for everyone if they would just believe. John chapter 3 is the verse that says it clearly, that God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. How do you get there? A merciful God. 
What about Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15? And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with his obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. There is mercy. Now maybe you're here and you're going, yes, I have the gift of mercy. Or maybe you're like, no, I don't have the gift, but I want to work on cultivating these things in my own life, in my relationships. Let me close by giving you three warnings. Good for all of us as we try to walk that line of being people who show mercy and also people who love justice, right? It's hard sometimes to blend those things. So, we want to be warned about some things. First of all, in this, don't let your emotions rule you. People who have the gift of mercy are emotional people. There's nothing wrong with that. But you can't let emotions govern you. You can't make your decisions solely on, on emotional motivation. Why? Because our hearts can be deceptive. They can be easily fooled. We have to be careful. We have to be ruled by truth. Now, we need to do that in a loving and merciful way, but we can't let emotions rule us. We'll be making bad decisions if we do so. Secondly, don't lose objectivity. Don't lose your ability to reason through a situation well and come to solid conclusions. It's easy to let your objectivity slip when you let emotions rule. That seems to be the conclusion. Be careful. And finally, in showing mercy, be careful not to enable sinful behaviors in others. Be careful of that. Be careful. You can actually help someone sin through the gift of mercy by not having discernment. So you have to have discernment. I'm not saying don't be merciful, but I am saying be careful. Don't be an enabler either. And sometimes it's hard to work through that. If you have questions about it, your pastors and church leaders are here to help you with those conversations and to answer your questions. Those conversations are worth having. If you have questions, please have them. We can help you work through things and make sure that you're not enabling people, but it is worth the conversation. So today, I want us to consider this gift of mercy. And I want us to consider applying the things that would help us be merciful to our lives and to our relationships, especially as it relates to people in the world who are broken, who still need Jesus. What does it look like for me to be a merciful person? And may God be glorified in how we apply these things.